Our scripture passage today is from Peter's first letter, but as we've been doing through this series, I'm going to be reading the scripture passage um, throughout the sermon, so we're not going to have it read first of all initially, but we have it printed here with the verse numbers uh, so you can follow along with me throughout the sermon. Uh, Before we begin, let's uh, pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, you have given us all good things, and among these, Lord, you have given us your immortal and eternal word to dwell in us, to guide us, to teach us, and to instruct us in the ways that we should live. Father, we know we can understand none of these things you have given us unless the same Spirit that illuminated them would illuminate us today. So I pray your Holy Spirit be upon us, Lord, to open our hearts and minds that we can hear, that we can read, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so two weeks, not this week, not not next week, but the week after that, we've got an election coming up, right? Got an election, and it's, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal, we're told us. It's a midterm election. Usually midterms don't get all the attention of a presidential one, but this one is getting a lot of attention. Wait, because there is a lot at stake in this election, or at least that's what we're told. There's a lot at stake at this election. Everything could change. The whole makeup of our Congress could be altered with this election. And the consequences are huge for our life. That's what we're told at least. But I'm going to tell you something different. I'm going to tell you that the outcome of this election doesn't matter at all. Okay, the outcome of this election doesn't matter at all. Okay, okay, all right, I'm going to walk back for a minute on that. Before anyone get angry at me, I'm going to walk back for a minute and say, it, it does matter, but it only matters for your circumstances in life. That's it. And when I mean your circumstances in life, I mean your economic situation, your financial stability, for your political freedoms, for your living conditions, for our educational system in America, and for our international stability. That's it. That's all that matters. And that's what I mean by the circumstances of your life. That's the only thing this election will affect is the circumstances of your life. And I know you're probably thinking, but wait a minute, that's everything. All those things you mentioned, that's the most important stuff we have in life. I'm here to tell you differently. It's not the most important things about your life. And it doesn't matter near as much as you think it does. And what I mean by that, for the scheme of your life, as in the meaning of your life, by what God is doing in your life, your circumstances don't matter. Who's in office doesn't matter your financial stability, the international situation, your political freedoms, none of those things matter with God fulfilling the good work He is doing in your life. Because God is doing a good work in your life right now. God is doing a good work through your life right now. And our circumstances don't matter near as much as we think they do. Now, I'm going to explain myself here, of course. I'm going to explain what I just said. But we're looking at 
Peter's letter, the first letter of Peter. And I call this the God for exiles because Peter tells us in several places that we are living in a time of exile. As in we are living in a place that is not our real home. We're living in a time that is not our real time. We're living in a land that is not our real land. This is not what we're meant for. This is not our home. This is not the place where we can finally rest and say that we truly belong because we're exiles. And as soon as that we forget that we're exiles, then all of a sudden it makes sense that our circumstances are the most important thing that we have in life. Our circumstances become everything. And we all of a sudden have to make this life as good or as perfect as we can possibly make it. And that means making our circumstances as good and perfect as we can possibly make it. And it makes perfect sense if this is our real home. But we forget that we're just passing through. This is all temporary. And that through what we experience here in this life, in this short mortal life, God is preparing us. And he's actually building us for something better. See, God is doing a good work in your life. God is doing a good work through your life. And your situation in life, no matter how big and important it might seem, your circumstances in life cannot alter or change the good work that God is doing in your life. There's no circumstance that can prevent the good work that God is doing in your life and through your life. And in fact, the good work that God is doing in you is so strong, it is so powerful, and it is so much a part of a destiny that's going to happen. God can actually take your circumstances, whatever they are, no matter how bad they might seem, He can take those circumstances and use them to do this good thing that He's doing in your life. He can take your circumstances and do great things in your life. And I believe that's the point that Peter is making in this passage today. As we start to read it, you'll find that it is a very difficult passage to grasp, to understand, and to even accept. But I think the point Peter is making through all this, and this is what I want you to remember, is to use your circumstances to bring glory to God. Use your circumstances to bring glory to God and to live out your life of faith. So this is how he starts out. And I'm, here we are looking at the scripture passage now. I'm going to read verse 13 and 14 and then skip down to 18. So this is 13, 14, and 18. And Peter says this. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And now skipping down to 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So, so Peter is presenting to us here a set of very unfavorable circumstances. One is living under human government, and the second one is living in a state of bondage. It says servant, sometimes they translate as, as actually slave as well. And these are very unfortunate circumstances. And the first one is living under human government. And I know we like to complain about our government. And I complain about our government too, right? All the unjust, terrible things our government does. But guys, they don't have anything compared to the Romans. 
And, and that's where Peter is writing today. He's living under the Roman emperor. And their government was unjust. Their government was cruel. They did some awful things. I mean, people didn't have near the rights that we have today. Soldiers could come and live in your home anytime they wanted. If they saw you along the road, they, you had to carry their packs. There was no freedom of speech. There was no freedom of assembly. There was no freedom of religion. Christianity was outlawed. And to make it all worse, you, you think that our president will abuse his executive privilege. You know what the emperor did? He declared himself a god. And he made it the law that you had to worship the emperor as a god. And that's the government Peter was living under. That's the circumstances the Christians were living under. And what Peter's telling them is as bad as this government is, you shouldn't rebel. Don't rebel. Don't fight against them. Don't try to set up an alternative system of government. He says, obey these earthly masters. Obey these earthly powers. And then if that's not bad enough, then he has another set of circumstances, the servants. Or in some translations, the slaves. And these are people that were not even qualified as second-class citizens. They were like third or fourth or fifth-class citizens. They had no rights at all. They were literally owned by another human being, legally owned by another human being. And their master could do whatever he wanted to with them. He could beat them. He could kick them out. He could starve them. He could even kill them. And what does Peter say to do in this situation? So don't rebel. Don't fight against your masters. Instead, he says you should serve them. He says serve them with zeal, with energy. Not just the good ones, but the unjust ones too. So I got to say, at the very least, this is extremely unpleasant advice. It's one of these parts of the Bible, and everyone has a part, right? I mean, every time, you, if you read through this Bible honestly and approach it, there's going to be a part that you don't like. A part that just like, eh, I'm really not crazy about this section. Can we just go into something else? And this is one of these for me. And, and some people look at this and they wonder if Paul, I mean Peter rather, is actually condoning the evil institution of slavery. And I want to first of all correct this, that Peter is not condoning either the Roman emperor and he's certainly not condoning slavery. And if you just think about it for a minute, I mean, how can Peter possibly be condoning this? Because under the, the system of government he was living under, his religion was illegal. Christianity was illegal. So there was no way that he was promoting this as a good way to live and as a good government. Just as he was not promoting being a servant or being a slave as a good way to live. He was not promoting this at all. I will admit, though, this is a part of the Bible that has some very difficult advice. Because what Peter is telling us here is instead of putting all this energy into working and trying to change your circumstances, what we should do instead is put the energy and our focus into using our circumstances for the glory of God. Instead of working so hard to change and, and, and alter our circumstances, we should take that energy, we should take that focus and to use those circumstances for the glory of God and to live out our life of faith. This is what he says, verse, pick it up at verse 15 to 17 here. He says, for this is the will of God. Those circumstances we live under, he says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. 
not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So he's saying, by, by this obedience, you're going to put to silence our critics. That's what he says. You're going to put to silence the critics of our faith by your obedience, and you're going to take your freedom that Christ has given you, and you're going to now use it for good. See, there, there are several places you might notice as you read through the New Testament, not just in Peter, but Paul also, several places where they seem to give us the same advice, and it's always clumped together. Obey the government. Slaves and servants, obey your masters. Children, obey your parents. And wives, obey your husbands. We'll get to the wives next week. I had to tackle that by itself. <laughs> Only so much punishment I can take one Sunday. But that same advice always comes together and is mentioned several times through the Bible. The one most often mentioned is obeying governments. We get it like two or three times in Paul. We get it in Hebrews. We get it here in Peter. And we get the advice for servants to obey your masters, children obey your parents, wives obey your husbands. And this advice is very specific advice, and it comes again and again through the New Testament. And I was reading, I was wondering why they seem, they feel like they have to mention this so often. And the reason why I have to mention this to these early Christian audiences is because it was making sense to this early Christian audience to take the message of Christ and use it to change the circumstances of the world. They were getting this, this radical message of Jesus Christ, of this grace and forgiveness in God, this new life and this freedom, right? That, they were, that we're all equally sinners in the eyes of God and that Christ has set us free and he's, and he's destroyed the dividing line between, between slave and free and from powerful and from weak. And we, and we hear this message that God loves the poor and the dispossessed and the weak and the less powerful. And, and then people are hearing this message and their eyes are being opened up just to the goodness and the holiness of God, and they're looking around their world, and they're saying, this isn't right. We are living the wrong way. We have the wrong kind of government. We have the wrong kind of social organization. Even our marriages and our personal relationships are all messed up. They're, they're looking at it, and they're saying, we're doing this all wrong. And they've got a very good point. They were doing it all wrong. And we're still doing it all wrong. And so these early Christian movements started rebelling against the government and they were being accused of being uh, uh, of revolutionaries and agitators. They were enemies of the empire and trying to bring the whole system down. And so Peter and Paul are warning their audience, they're pulling them back from this and saying, look, you might be right and you've got a great point, but this isn't our mission. This isn't what we're here to do. We're not here to change this system. As, as good as an idea as that sounds, and it is a very good idea, that was not the mission of Christ, and that's not the mission of the church. And it's hard to hear. Believe me, it's hard, it's hard for me to hear. It's hard for me to accept. But the truth is, Christ did not come to change governments, and He didn't come to change social, the social order of our world. If He didn't, if He was there to do that, He would have made Himself a king. He would have made himself a king and would he, it would set up a perfect form of government. But he didn't do that. And you know why he didn't do it? Because changing the governments and changing the institutions does no good at all. It doesn't. It doesn't do any good to change your form of government. It doesn't do any good to change your institutions. It doesn't do any good because you still got the same people in charge. 
mean, think about it. What good does it do to change the system of government or change your whole social system that you have in place if the same depraved, sinful, ambitious, greedy, and selfish people are in charge? Right? An institution is only as good as the people that are running it. The institution is only as good as the people that are in it. And every human institution ends up failing. And you know why they fail? They all fail for exactly the same reason. It's the reason socialism fails. It's the reason monarchy fails. It's the reason egalitarianism fails. And it's also the reason, believe it or not, eventually democracies fail. And you know why they fail? Because people are running it. That's why they fail. Changing a government is ultimately like, like changing your clothes. You might look nicer you're still the exact same person underneath. And that's why the mission of Christ was not to change governments or institutions. In fact, Jesus came on a much more dangerous mission. He came to change human nature. That was the mission of Christ. To change the very nature of humanity. And our quest as the church is the same quest as Christ. We come preaching a new humanity. We come preaching a new people. We come preaching the new creation of Jesus Christ. And if we get caught up in our circumstances, if we get too caught up on those, then we lose sight of our goal. And it's okay to change your circumstances. Paul even says that to, to the servants and slaves. If you have a chance to change it, take it. Do it. Go for it. But let's not get too wrapped up in changing our circumstances. Instead, use those circumstances to live out your faith. Use those circumstances to bring glory to God. And this was the example that Christ gave us. Everything that Christ accomplished was through the circumstances he faced in life. This is what he says here in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this, to this you have been called. Because Christ, and listen to this where he says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. That's the example that Jesus has given us, the suffering that he did, the example that he gave in us, so that, you hear this part, so that you might follow in his steps, as in you might do the same thing he did. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. If you want to talk about some awful circumstances in life, Jesus had some awful circumstances. An innocent man. The only one we've seen on earth far that so far that has been good and holy. And what were his circumstances that he faced? He was hated. He was abused. He was reviled. He was rejected. And if this wasn't bad enough, he was betrayed by one of his own. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. 
and then killed by a slow and torturous death on a cross. And he could have changed his circumstances at any moment. He even said, if I, if I want to, I can call down a whole legion of angels and they can take him off the cross. They can change his circumstances immediately. But he didn't. Instead, he used his circumstances to do the will of God. And look what he accomplished. Look what he did by being obedient to God and using those circumstances. It tells us in verse 24 what it was. It says, by his wounds, you have been healed. That's what he did through his circumstances. Healed you by his wounds. By his circumstances, he saved the world. Literally, saved the world. And it's through this work, the work of Christ, that is made possible that we can now change human nature. That's how the world gets better. That's how the world improves. Not by changing the programs, not by changing the governments, but by changing people. That's what he says in verse 25 here. He says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You belong to Christ. Jesus is your shepherd. You are lost without him. Literally, you are lost without him. What we must do is follow in his steps. We must follow the example that he gave us to live. Use your circumstances. Whatever they are, whatever you're in, use them to glorify God. So that's the advice I have today for your passports. You can write this down. Use your circumstances to glorify God and to live out your faith. Use your circumstances, whatever they are, to glorify God and to live out your faith. If you're poor, use your poverty to glorify God and to lead others to Christ. If you're weak, use your weakness to glorify God and to leave others to Christ. If you're old, use your age. If you're unlucky, use your misfortune. If you're hated, use your forbearance and forgiveness. Whatever circumstance you're in, you can use it to glorify God and to live out your life of faith. Don't get overly obsessed with your circumstances and the ways you're experiencing your life right now. And, and to be honest, most of them are out of your control anyway. Be concerned with it. It's okay. Be concerned. Just not obsessed and wasting too much energy. Go out there and vote, okay? Two weeks from now, go out in there and vote. It's your civic duty. Go do it. But realize your voice is just one of millions. You get a voice. It does count, but it is very easily overruled. These are things beyond our control. Instead, use your circumstances to glorify God and to live out your faith. This is the will of God. This is how we make the world a better place. It becomes better because Christ is making new people. And that's how we change the world. It's not going to happen through campaigns or marches or social movements or wearing ribbons and those could be good or bad causes. That's not how we change things. You're going to change the world by becoming a better person. You're going to change the world by helping other people become the best version of themselves. You're going to change the world by taking the good that God has given you 
And God has given you incredible good to take that good, whatever it is, and to share it with others. And to share it with the world. And to be honest with you, quite often what will happen is you find that God is the one who will change your circumstances. God is the one that will do what you cannot do. Let's just leave it to him because he's better at it anyway. Whatever your circumstances are, use it to glorify his name. Use it to perfect your faith. And I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul and the way he talks about his circumstances. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.